Welcome to our eschatology series, Unfolding the Power of Prophecy. My name is Dr. Finney and I will be your speaker today. We're on number 53 in our series and today we're going to be talking about the everlasting gospel. Earlier I spoke about the trinity of the gospels. That would be the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom, and the gospel of eternal life, or other words known as eternal gospel. Today we're going to be focusing on the eternal gospel, revealing the details that come to us through Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. We're also going to be addressing Jesus separating the goats from the sheep. Most Christians have heard this passage stated, but we need to take a detailed look at who are the goats and who are the sheep. We're also going to be addressing the impact of the eternal gospel. Who was this group that the eternal gospel was to be addressing? We'll move on to talk about the great fall of Babylon. I know most Christians today have the tendency to believe that old Babylon has already fallen. Well, the book of Revelation reveals to us that it shows its ugly head one more time. So we'll look at those details. And finally, we're going to talk about some of the details of the modern emergent church. You hear more and more about that in the news every day. So we need to take just a few moments and talk about the emergent church, which is what I refer to as the Church of Laodicea. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you stay with us throughout this teaching. I think it's going to be packed with supernatural revelations of Jesus Christ. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. Well, God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. Well, God is good. God is good All the time There we go God is good All the time Put a song of praise In this heart of mine God is good All the time Through that darkest night This light will shine God is good God is good all the time Yes he is If you're walking Through that valley And there are shadows All around Do not fear He will guide you He will keep you Safe and sound He has promised To never leave you Or forsake you And his word is true God is good all the time. 
should all the time. Yes, he is. We were sinners, so unworthy. Still for us, he chose to die. He filled us with his Holy Spirit. Now we can stand and testify that his love is everlasting and his mercies they will never end. God is good. Come on. All the time he put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good. All the time through the darkest night his light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time. Yes, He is. Though I may not understand all the plans You have for me, where my life is in Your hands, and through the eyes of faith I can clearly see God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart. All the time, through the darkest night, this light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time.
bless you. We are on number 53 in our eschatology series. We are working relentlessly at unfolding the power of prophecy contained in the book of Revelation. Let's read our scripture for today. It's found in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. Let's take a look at those details surrounding the Trinity of the Gospel. Earlier I spoke about the Trinity of the Gospel, the Gospel of Grace, the Gospel of the Kingdom, and now the Eternal Gospel. They all derive from the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but each has a significant message to preach, and each has a particular place in the timeline of God the Father. We find an angel flying in mid-heaven, Of course, that is the space between heaven and earth, and that's found in verse 6. The eternal gospel is on his lips, ready to preach unto those that still dwell on the earth. And that is every nation, race, language, and people. This particular gospel is a sign to be preached at the end of the great tribulation, immediately preceding the earth's nation's judgment. At this time, the world will be in such unrest, no man will be able to sleep, not even the goats. Of course, the scriptures refer to goats as the unsaved, particularly those who believe they are saved and they are not. At this juncture of prophecy, we know that this angel is coming to offer a different gospel than the earth dwellers have heard before. This message is not a message of salvation, like the gospel of grace. This message is of judgment. However, even though this message is one of judgment, it is good news to the elected 144,000 pure bloodline Jews of Israel, who will be, by the way, evangelized by this 
eternal gospel. Jesus speaks of a great separation. Well, let's take a look at it. Matthew 25, 31 through 33 tells us, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and in all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Also in Revelation 14.7 it says, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. This, folks, is the last call. One would think that after all this has happened, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord, but they don't. There will be a time that all will confess this at the feet of Jesus, but it will be after all is said and done, according to Isaiah 45, verse 23. The indwelled Christians are not the only ones who will bow and confess The beauty of this passage is that every rebel spirit, unsaved human, and even Satan will ultimately bow and confess that he, Jesus Christ, is God. And God is the Holy Father. And the Holy Spirit is God as well. By the time this great angel opens his mouth, the entire world will have been tormented, and have suffered the unbelievable devastation of the seal and trumpet judgments. The unwavering and purposeful acts of Satan and his hatred will have shaken the foundation of the earth, the once cherished and beautiful earth and its elements will be no more. No more peaceful sunsets on the beach No place of rest for the wicked or the righteous will be found on the earth. Pictures of doomsday may have in their mind or portrayed by Hollywood will not even come close to the picture when the earth is truly groaning. Even the earth itself will have a sense to cry out for a deliverer. Let's review... Who is impacted by the eternal gospel? Up to this point in time, all the unbelievers will have heard the message of truth preached. By the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, two witnesses will have completed their work. Still, the masses don't listen, nor do they become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Only the 144,000 remnant accepts the eternal gospel. But, not to our surprise, the masses remain unbelievers, turning a deaf ear to his angels' preaching. If God is a foreknowing God, why does he even take the time to send one more angel to make such a proclamation? There are several reasons, but the primary one is This is an announcement of judgment, an announcement 
of the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming of Jesus Christ. All of God's doings are pre-planned and preset in his eternal sovereign will. Therefore, he is obligated by his structure to fulfill them. If this weren't the case, God would be a liar. But he's not. He's a God of truth. All he has proclaimed and warned us about for over 6,000 years must be fulfilled to confirm that he is truth. He must carry out every jot and tittle of the plan that was pre-written before man had even an opportunity to try to interpret what God means by what God says. All of us can be certain of one thing. God will keep his word. Let's take a look at that fall of Babylon, system of the Antichrist. Revelation 14.8 tells us this, And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Once the preaching of the eternal gospel has been completed, God will send yet another angel to announce the system of the Antichrist as fallen that of this revised Babylon. I'll speak more about this system of governance when we get to chapter 17 and 18. But for now, know that God is announcing another one of his timeline prophecies. In this particular verse, God gives us his reasoning for the fall that is soon to beseech Satan. Forced servitude is something that God has never required, at least until Judgment Day. God's reasoning for dropping Satan's dominion is due to Satan's nature of manipulating and forcing all nations to rise against the wrath of God and for forcing the entire world to become fornicators, molesters of the holy marriage of the Lamb which is the greatest offense of Jesus Christ. When this announcement is made, Satan's rule system is beginning to fall apart at the seams. He still has the multitude buying into his deceptive governance, but overall the system of order he has strategically built for the earth is wavering. His followers have been deceived into thinking His empire is the most powerful the earth has ever witnessed, even over the God of Abraham. Even though it's true that the Antichrist empire will be the most powerful to date, his actions of rising against the kingdom of God will not be tolerated by God. And thus the reason God is about to make that known. There were 15 Gentile empires that have come forth from the empire of the Antichrist. Most, I might add, were fully controlled by a pope, the Roman State Church. Keep that in mind as we go through the next few lessons of the book of Revelation. But we need to take a look at the prophetic world empires. 
which is the system of the Antichrist that the book of Revelation is referencing as New Babylon. In Daniel and Revelation's books, God has revealed the world-ruling Gentile, which is non-Israelite, empires, which is kingdoms, that would exist from the time of Babylon's empire to the second coming of Jesus Christ, encompassing man's 6,000 years. Now remember, Babylon started with the Tower of Babel, and that was shortly after Noah and his ark. So this has been around for a very long time. Even though Satan acts like he is an impatient God with a small g, he knows it takes time to unfold deception to God's people. Biblical prophecies predict no less than 15 empires, and the most influential false religious system the devil would create. And history tells us that most of them were managed by the Roman state church. Here's a special note to remember. Always watch for global leaders managed by the Roman state church. You can do that to our present leadership to this very day. Now when we look back at Daniel and the revelation of John, we find some interesting details. Let's review what Daniel had to say about this. Number one, the large image of a man dreamt by King Nebuchadnezzar. Historically, we just need to keep in mind that about 600 years before Jesus was born, Babylon, which is Iraq today, was the most powerful and wealthy kingdom in the Middle East. In this dream of the man that he saw, it had a head of the statue, which was made of gold which represented the kingdom of Babylon, which the Lord gave King Nebuchadnezzar to rule. And this gold also symbolized supreme power that Babylon had through the ages. Then if we jump over to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had this vision of beasts. More than 50 years after King Nebuchadnezzar dreamt, Daniel had a vision about four great beasts that were like a lion with eagle's wings, a bear, a leopard, and a terrifying powerful beast. The four beasts are four kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonian kingdom is compared to a lion in Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 7 and to an eagle in Ezekiel 17:3. Images of lions with eagles' wings were popular in Babylon, and it can be found on ancient Babylonian architecture to this very day. The chest and arms on Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the chest and arms made of silver representing the kingdom of Medo-Persia, which is the second power that would rise after Babylonia. Silver is a secondary metal, and that's why it symbolizes an inferior status to that of what Babylon was. 
We jump over to Daniel 7. Daniel's vision of the beast had shown a beast that looked like a bear. The bear was raised on one side, which may illustrate the dominance of Persia over Media. It had three ribs in its mouth, which may have illustrated the three major empires Persia conquered, which of course was Babylon, Egypt, and Libya. The bear was commanded to devour much flesh, which may have been a reference to Persia's military expansion throughout the ancient world. Then we have the belly and the thighs of the statue, the belly and thighs made of bronze representing the kingdom of Greece. This third kingdom would rule over the whole earth. Then in Daniel 7, Daniel's vision of the leopard with four heads and four wings may represent the kingdom of Greece. The four wings may illustrate the speed of Alexander the Great's conquest. Then we have the legs and the feet of the statue. Of course, the legs were made of iron, and the feet were a mixture of both iron and clay. The legs suggested that the iron was the symbol that the kingdom would be strong as iron and would break, smash, and crush things. Jumping over to Daniel 7, Daniel had a vision of a terrifying beast with ten horns, and iron teeth. Now we're actually starting to talk about the same descriptives that we find in the book of Revelation. The beast's ten horns are the ten kings that would rise from this kingdom. Now the important factor we need to keep in mind here is God gave this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, probably to instill some fear. Fifty years later, Daniel has a vision that brings details to the initial interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Then run it forward thousands of years, and we have the book of Revelation revealing the details of both of these supernatural revelations given to King Nebuchadnezzar as well as Daniel. When Daniel's vision revealed this ram and a male goat, goats have always been symbolic of a rebellious replicator. Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God is the symbol of the tenderness and sweetness and grace of the living God. These two images, which many just interpret as symbolic, collide with one another and it is being announced in our passage today. The Apostle John's vision of a woman riding a beast with seven heads and ten horns is exactly what Daniel's vision was all about. This came along with the end-time beast that will rule the world just before the second coming of Jesus Christ, according to Revelation 13, 1-8, the Bible records making a very special promise to Israel's people just before they crossed the Jordan River to receive their inheritance in the land of milk and honey. He promised to make them a high above all the nations if they kept his commandments. 
That's according to Deuteronomy 26, verses 18 and 19. God promised to make the Israelite nation, which is the bride of Christ, preeminent in the world if they obeyed his voice. Over time, however, they increasingly rejected God's way to the point where they refused to have him as their king and instead requested a human king be put over them. You can read more about that in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verses 5 through 7. Eventually, because of their ongoing disregard for God's laws, ten of Israel's tribes were conquered and taken out of the land by the Asian Empire. That took place in 723 B.C. The remaining tribes, Judah, Benjamin, and Levi, lived in Palestine until they were conquered and taken from their inheritance because of disobedience. Because Israel rejected God, he rejected them and gave their promised leadership role in the world to others. That would be the Gentile empires. Please don't be confused about empires of the past, present, and future. They all come back to Babylon's foundation. Indeed, Babylon was once the greatest and most powerful city on earth, but in this passage, God is correlating Babylon with the global system that Satan has formed to manage the entire world. Babylon has been God's comparative since the Tower of Babel as an evil system of one world governance and rebellion against him. If you remember, it was established by Nimrod, Genesis 10.9. Babylon soon became a city of proud people who proclaimed their new democratic self-ruled governance system, which became an abomination to God. The Babylonians removed God from their system of rule and placed man's independence of their God. It was a perfect setup for Satan to come in and rule the hearts of mankind through an actual system or empire. He did this through the Gentile empires. And that's exactly what happened. History proves it. Satan began to use the deceptive ways of self-rule to cause man to rise against God's wrath while permitting them to become fornicators. Thus the battle changed from that of man and God to Satan and God. This all resulted in the Tower of Babel's infamous story, man's ultimate expression of self-made religion, each individual had the right to worship any idol he or she chose while building a single unified path to the top of a single tower. Their actions became the technique used to form the emergent universal church of the false prophet. As typical with God's methods of ruling, he judged the people and their satanic endeavors of idolatry and rebellion by confusing their language. He placed a different tongue, language, in the individual group's mouths represented at the tower. This discipline caused the people to scatter to remote parts of the earth. 
Since that day, Satan's goal has been to bring all cultures, nations, and people back to this tower, a system of worship, so that he can rule as one at the top of the tower of Babylon. God knows his actions and thus refers to Satan's empire as Babylon. It's that simple. A global problem developed. Each of these familiar groups took their practices of idolatry and false religions to the regions of the earth and began to establish their forms and interpretations of worshiping God. Thus we have over 3,000 different religions globally and well over 1,000 different Christian branches of serving Christ. In using this expression, I'm not referring to the true indwelt Christians. Now that you can see the illustration that Hindus, the emergent church, as well as many others, use regarding the multiple paths leading to the top of a mountain, or should I say tower. For what reason? Pretty simple. To worship God with a little g, and that would be the Antichrist or Satan himself. Also remembering that on God's mountain, there's only one path. It's quite narrow. The mountain is called the mountain of Zion, which is where the Lamb awaits his bride. The doom and gloom of the beast. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name, here is the perseverance of the saints who kept God's commandments and their faith in Jesus. This is probably one of the saddest portions of Scripture in the Bible. All generations of warnings, invitations, and acts of grace, the defiant rebels are given their inheritance. Inheritance is a final payment of loyalty. Most assume that inheritance generates prosperity and it's free. No inheritance is free. It is one who receives a reward for faithfulness to a father. In the beast worshippers, it is a payment of loyalty to him as the father of lies. In the case of us Christians, Jesus paid the price for our inheritance. By the way, it is not our inheritance but that of Jesus. We are given the privilege to partake in it because we are the bride of Christ. What he receives as an inheritance, we get to receive and participate in it. As even in the case of earthly standards, we marry into inheritance. Being God's son, Jesus' inheritance encompasses all the Father has, 
We as the bride of Christ receive his full inheritance. He is rewarded for his faithfulness to his Father. We certainly don't receive it on our own merit. This is one of the primary reasons being selected by God the Father as a bridal member for his Son. The third angel downloads some pretty intense data here. The first angel makes the final announcement of judgment. The second angel announces Satan's kingdom's fall. And now the third angel announces the doom and gloom of the Antichrist and his followers. All warnings and opportunities of deliverance have come to pass. Now the consequences of refusing to drop their allegiance to Satan and bow to the living God is upon them. Let's take a look at the angels spelling out these consequences. In verse 10, the angel says that they will drink of the anger of God. They will be tormented with fire and brimstone. That's called hell, folks. Their torment will be in front of all the angels and literally in front of the Lamb of God himself, whom they have personally rejected for over 6,000 years. Verse 11 reveals the horrid picture of the smoke of their burning souls being smelt in heaven forever and ever. A pictorial like this is for the Trinity, the Bride of Christ, and all the angels to view and to remember that God means what he says. I believe this passage is literal. I'm certain that all of heaven will be reminded of family and friends who rebelled for eternity. While we are enjoying the inheritance of our groom by the grace of God, we will most likely be reminded of his grace through the smoke of their torment ascending forever and ever. That adds a supernatural dimension of the grace of God for those who were selected to become the bridal members of his son. These lost burning souls are our family and friends. Anyone who died past, present, and future who did not honor God suffer this consequence. In conclusion, the emergent church of today dares to proclaim that there is no such thing as everlasting hell, a fire and brimstone. I often challenge such believers to explain. Why, if God will burn up the wicked, why doesn't he put the fire out once the task is completed? Why does the smoke ascend forever and ever? With the common practice of this church refusing to address certain harsh passages of the word, they too might find themselves heating up in the end. The emergent church continues to refuse to accept the complete word of God as the words of God. This particular group is who the angel is preaching the eternal gospel. The world today is adding and deleting things to God's word that simply do not exist. Revelation 22 verse 18 says, For if anyone who adds or deletes from this book will be deleted from the Lamb's book of life. 
I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that exactly means, but that means there are some people who are written in the book of life, salvation, and they are deleted from the book. You simply are commanded not to add or delete to the book of Revelation. If you're one of those emergent believers, you may reconsider some of the things that you've been believing. Coming up next is number 54, Blessed Are the Dead in Christ. We need to take a careful look at that. It's coming out of Revelation 14, 13. And it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. What happens after death is confusing to a lot of people. Does their spirit stay with their body until this time Revelation 14 is talking about? Do we immediately go to heaven? Is there a paradise between now and the new heaven being revealed? These are great questions, and we do need to take some time to review them. We hope that you join us in our next message. We want to thank you for joining us today. We understand that the book of Revelation can be difficult to understand, but if we keep with the simplicity of God's mind, the simplicity of the gospel, and certainly the simplicity of our own minds, when the Holy Spirit reveals things to us about the book of Revelation, we will understand. Until next time.